Chapter Two, Part One of Reminiscences of a Workhouse Medical Officer by Joseph Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Westminster Infirmary, Part One. About a twelvemonth after the act was in operation, I appealed through the medical journals to my brethren in the provinces as to the arrangements that had been made in their respective localities a large number of letters from all parts of england and wales were sent to me and with the information thus furnished i prepared a paper which i called chaos in which i turned into ridicule the arrangements that had been made showing that the department faithful to its traditions had made a complete mess of the administrative arrangements this paper read at the meeting of the british medical association at sheffield attracted a good deal of attention both in the medical and general press it materially acted in evolving order out of the chaos into which the subject had drifted owing to the indifference and incompetence of those who had drafted the measure in the spring of eighteen seventy two i was informed that the alterations and enlargement of the old workhouse of st james's commenced at the time when the westminster union was formed were complete and that mr french who had been the medical officer of the workhouse and parish of st james for upwards of forty years was about to retire on a superannuation allowance of two hundred pounds a year i was told that the chairman of the board mr bonthron a scotch baker living in regent street had selected a fellow scotsman one dr s as mr french's successor and as mr bonthron claimed to be omnipotent at the board this gentleman's appointment to the vacancy was considered to be certain in the course of a few days i heard that a formidable opponent to dr s had appeared in the person of dr m who was also a scotsman in due course the election took place when dr m was elected this resulted from a protest on the part of certain members of the board who resented the predominance of mr bromthorn when apprised of the result of the election i remarked that dr m could not take the office as he did not possess the necessary legal qualifications on the following saturday morning a member of the board told me that a letter had been read at the meeting of the guardians held the previous evening announcing that the election of dr m was null and void as he held no surgical qualifications as his election had surprised all the guardians because it proved that the chairman had not the influence he claimed my informant advised me to apply for the office at first i hesitated but upon being urged again i assented the same evening i called on dr m told him of my intention and asked him for the support of his friends to my utter astonishment he told me he had made up his mind to try again nonsense i said how can you get a diploma from the college of surgeons oh he replied i have arranged all that i have a splendid memory and i remember all my anatomy and surgery as i had every ground for the belief that he had never attended lectures on surgery nor attended the surgical practice of an hospital inasmuch as i had known him ever since he had come to london i saw that without collusion with someone in authority it was impossible for it to be done but as he appeared determined i left him 
as soon as it was known that i seriously intended to compete for the appointment testimonials in my favour were forwarded to me by several eminent physicians and surgeons by members of parliament among them one of a very flattering character from mr c p villiers m p the ex-president of the poor law board who strongly recommended me to the board of guardians those lady visitors who had known me at the strand and others two days before the election took place i was surprised by a visit from dr m who called to inform me that he had passed his examination at the college of surgeons the night before and now asked me to retire in his favour on my declining to do as he wished he said it was very hard i would not as he had incurred an expense of upwards of sixty pounds to get the diploma prior to the election my friends entered into a compact with his supporters to the effect that if i was in a minority on the show of hands my name was to be withdrawn when they would support him but if i was in the majority his friends would support me this occurring i was elected to the great surprise of the chairman who looked on me as a dangerous person seeing that i had taken an active part in bringing about the formation of the union whereby st anne's had been joined to st james's which had the effect of somewhat increasing his poor rate assessment in st james for st anne's a poor parish had considerably improved its position by being put into union with st james which was comparatively a rich one having at this time received an invitation from the irish dispensary medical officers association to address them at the college of physicians in dublin i did so when sir dominic corrigan baronet m p was in the chair and i afterwards spent a very pleasant week there visiting the north and south dublin workhouses the latter having four thousand inmates with a large staff of visiting physicians and surgeons besides resident medical officers it is one of the finest hospitals in dublin and the arrangements for the efficient treatment of the sick poor were in the highest degree creditable to the irish poor law now the local government board i also visited the richmond lunatic asylum situated on the outskirts of dublin at that date under the superintendence of dr Lelor, who i understand was the first physician who introduced vocal and instrumental music as a means of relieving the insane there i witnessed one of the most extraordinary sights it was ever my lot to see i will give a sketch of the tableau in the foreground sat a young lady discoursing most eloquent music on a harmonium immediately behind her there stood some young irish women three or four of them singularly beautiful with music in their hands accompanying her behind them were older women and then on to the old and weird all joining most heartily in the performance the fringe of this female gathering of nearly a hundred performers were harmless imbeciles and idiots i stood and listened some moments whilst this singular performance continued i was so struck with the beauty of one of the irish girls that i asked her history when i was informed that her condition had been induced by a disappointment in a love affair it was the old story of love followed by desertion and she had been admitted some six months before in a state of maniacal excitement she was too young and altogether too pretty to be an inmate of a lunatic asylum 
dr laylor also showed me a typical case exhibiting the truth of the opinion i have long held that of all the forms of insanity none are so uncertain of having been really cured as those which have exhibited symptoms of homicidal or suicidal violence the patient in question had been admitted when suffering with a homicidal tendency but had steadily improved and his name was on the list of those to go before the visiting committee for discharge on probation when a startling incident occurred he had secreted one of the knives used in the asylum about his person and he had when unobserved whittled away the thick blunt portion used in the asylum until he had given it a sharp cutting edge from handle to point when raising his right leg up he cut through the calf down to the bone severing the muscle completely this patient dr laylor told me had been employed on various offices of trust and that he was commonly considered to be completely cured and altogether harmless i obtained one of the old knives used in this asylum had it copied and having got the sanction of the board for getting several used them all the time i was at the westminster union in the male and female insane wards the cutting edge was about two inches in length but the rest of the knife was about the twelfth of an inch thick it was impossible for lunatics to do any harm either to themselves or to others with such knives on my return to london i was informed that my appointment to the westminster union had been confirmed by the local government board a day or so before the twenty third of june an appointment was made by mr french for me to go over the house with him and to have the establishment formally handed over to me i went accompanied by a young irish physician recently one of the resident surgeons of an irish hospital with whom i was in treaty to be my assistant i had never been in this workhouse infirmary before shortly after my arrival mr french joined us and in company with the head nurse on the female side we went through the female part of the establishment the nurse was most elaborately got up we went on and examined each patient a large number of whom were in the wards in fact although it was midsummer the place was full i noticed bed cards over each patient's bed but as i could not make out what was given to the patients i asked what was being done for this and that case to my astonishment mr french said nothing i do not believe in physic and therefore do not give the people anything presently we entered a large ward where a woman evidently in great pain was lying in bed writhing in apparent agony after ascertaining the nature of the case which was one of colicky diarrhoea i asked well what do you hear to which he replied nurse give her a glass of number two with that he pulled me into the centre of the ward and giving me a friendly nudge of the ribs laughingly said what do you imagine is number two why it is peppermint water coloured i never give any physic feeling by this time somewhat disgusted by these remarkable confessions seeing that his stipend was three hundred and fifty pounds a year out of which it was arranged by the board that he should supply these medicines i dropped his company and went on examining the people independently mr french speedily buttonholed my young companion and went on looking at the patients with him at last our visit came to an end and on coming out of the male sick wards he shook me warmly by the hand and wished me the same happy official life as he had had 
he had hardly got out of hearing when the young irishman commenced to reproach me with having transferred mr french to him saying i take it sir as a very unkind thing that you should have done so as i was shocked at his boasting that he never did anything at all for these poor sick people the next day i entered on my duties on taking my seat in the consulting-room the master brought in and laid before me a large volume the workhouse medical relief book i turned over the pages for the week and noticed the names and extras ordered for the sick i saw that ham sausages tripe fish eggs were entered rather frequently at last i said to the master who was standing by you surely have not all these people on the sick list in the house i did not see a third of this number when i went over the house yesterday yes he replied they are there on which i said let everything remain as entered in the book until i can arrange to go over the establishment and see them all which i will do this week i then went through the sick and infirm wards on going through the wards i ordered what in my judgment was necessary for the sick in the way of medicines much to the astonishment of the head nurse who stared at me in half-dazed manner. There was one patient with a very foul and offensive ulcer, for whom I ordered a charcoal poultice. She came to me before I left the house to ask me what I meant. I replied, a charcoal poultice. She then said, I never heard of such a thing before. I then asked her how long she had been there, and she said, eight years. The next day I had occasion to order a carrot poultice, i met with the same astonishment and ignorance of what was meant at last she frankly stated that she was about to learn her duties for nothing of the kind had ever been used by her before and further she said that as she never had any medicine to give the people she had not troubled herself much about the patients indeed i learned on inquiry that she used to be in waiting to see the doctor each morning and so soon as he was gone she considered her duties were over and she returned to her own sitting-room till next day i could never get her to give my medicines as directed apart from this indifference as to medicines she was kind to the patients and respectful to me on the male side i found a superintendent nurse who really knew her duties she confirmed the statement voluntarily made by mr french that no medicines were ever provided for the sick she also said that the guardians knew all about it and that they treated it as a great joke this was not correct as regards some of the guardians as i subsequently ascertained it was known to the st james section of the board but repudiated by those of st anne's seeing that we had had a medical inspector and self-called medical adviser for five years whose duty it was to visit this workhouse infirmary his failure to discover these omissions was in the highest degree remarkable but then the system prevailed at the local government board and our workhouse infirmaries association had utterly failed to alter it the reason for all this was not far to seek on the day after in company with a pauper inmate told off to carry the medical relief book i went through the wards for the purpose of seeing the infirm men and women who were on extras i found on the women's side that as it was leave day many had gone out 
and therefore drew the inference that if they were well enough to go out they could dispense with sausages ham tripe eggs and so forth entered against their names and could eat the ordinary infirm diet provided by dr markham's diet table which i saw hung up in the wards which diet table had been drawn up from the form drafted by our association some years before it is curious that he claimed it to be his without any reference to any one whilst going through the female wards some of the inmates returned drunk one old woman very much so she at once proceeded to ask me who i was and what i was doing there on my replying that i had come into the ward to see why she was on a diet of daily sausages she tartly replied pulling up her petticoats and showing both her legs which she struck with her hands for these bad legs i at once ran the pen through her name she lived in the house years after that but she ate no more sausages i learned on inquiry that this fat old woman who could go out and return drunk had had sausages nominally as her dinner for two years i write nominally because i learned afterwards that in the matter of diets an extensive system of exchange obtained throughout the house without any check or hindrance on the part of the officials it took me the greater part of four days to see all the infirm people on extras but the result was satisfactory as it enabled me to put the establishment so far as the diets were concerned on an economic basis the clerk of the board assured me at the time that i had caused a saving of some hundreds of pounds a statement which i honestly believe was the truth it might be a matter of wonder how this could be but having regard to the very large amount of extras purchased from day to day none of which were supplied under contract it can be well understood what an opportunity was given for large prices being charged for such extras as practically no check existed on the cupidity of the tradesmen selected by the master who supplied these things i do not state that such was the case here but unless some good understanding existed between those who ordered and those who supplied how is it possible that masters of workhouses with their limited incomes should succeed in leaving at their death so much money as many of them do i was informed that the old master who preceded catch at the strand union had gone there after failing in business as a tradesman in covent garden that he held office as master twelve years and when he died that he left some two thousand pounds i found on inspection of the specially infirm paralytic and wholly infirm that the women were located in wards sixteen seventeen and eighteen and on inquiry discovered that there were no conveniences whatever for the instantaneous removal of excreta and yet this condition of things had not been discovered by the government inspectors or by the medical advisers or if it had been no steps had been taken to alter it on my first visit to these wards i noticed some black patches in the corners of the compartments which stood out very distinctly from the recently whitewashed ceiling and walls noticing some days after that these patches had increased in size i asked the nurse what it was due to when she quietly said those are bugs so soon as i could i saw the master and told him of it and asked him to see to it he did not say he would or he would not he only laughed 
finding some days after that nothing had been done i again saw him in his office when i told him that i must insist on those bugs being removed the labor master was present who remarked well doctor as you make such a fuss about the bugs i will see to it for you evidently regarding the matter in the light of a personal favor and the bugs were swept down into a large dustpan by hundreds and put into the fire and burnt this was told me by an eyewitness who was present whilst it was being done i do not wish it supposed that the master was harsh or cruel quite the reverse he was very kind to the inmates but he had lived long enough in the service of the poor law not to be fully aware that no good would accrue to him or his by too much zeal in the performance of his duty he calmly let things slide consequently there was more drunkenness on liberty days than could be possibly imagined and was unchecked and although i repeatedly begged that the names of all persons who were on my sick list who had been allowed to go out should be reported to me if they came home drunk i never could get my wishes attended to though occasionally it happened that i discovered the circumstance especially when an accident occurred i was not wholly unprepared for this laxity of discipline as some few days before entering on my duties i met the ex-chaplain of the strand workhouse who whilst congratulating me on my return to the poor law service said you will have a great deal to meet with at st james's i have taken the duty there for the chaplain occasionally and the scenes of drunkenness and quarrelling among the inmates on their return home on liberty days which i have witnessed exceeds anything you can imagine one of the most terrible exhibitions of this kind i ever witnessed was on the first christmas day after my appointment the subject having previously been brought under the attention of the board an order was issued that for the future this indiscriminate permission to the inmates to leave the house on christmas day should be stopped it will hardly be believed that on the next christmas day the chairman took upon himself most presumptuously to go to the house and give permission for them to again go out the scene that occurred that night was the most disgraceful that ever happened in the history of a workhouse several of the drunken inmates on their return home fought like demons i and my assistant were engaged for some time in dealing with the injuries that were caused i must state that i never saw the master so justly indignant as he was at the impertinent interference of this chairman in setting his authority and that of the board at defiance in the way he had done finding that no dietary for the sick and infirm had been adopted at the house i at once drew up a form which continued in force until ill health caused my resignation it was similar to that which i had introduced at the strand several years before there was one diet for which i claim especial credit it was framed with the view of dealing with capricious appetites or severe sickness it was called number five or ad lib and consisted of either eggs fish a chop beef tea or arrowroot or anything else of the same value it was enjoined that the nurse should at eight a m ask what the special sick would take for dinner when she had ascertained the wishes of the patient a statement on a diet sheet showing how many of each description of diet would be required was sent down to the kitchen 
at the end of the week the cook handed to the master's clerk the number of each diet she had supplied who then proceeded to distribute these among all those who were on ad lib diet it might appear on the master's side of the medical relief book that a or b had had a chop daily whilst in reality the dinner might by this arrangement have been changed every day this plan of dealing with capricious appetites has since been adopted in several workhouses although five years had passed away since the metropolitan poor law act had become law no attempt had been made to carry out the dispensary clauses until after my election and one of the first things i had to do was to put the dispensary in order i had been taught a lesson in economic prescribing whilst at the strand and therefore was enabled to speedily arrange for a pharmacopoeia i also drew up a formula for the supply of large bottles of simple medicines which were placed in charge of the nurses for administration in trivial ailments so common among the aged poor i also introduced bed pulleys to enable the sick to assist themselves in rising or in getting in or out of bed i also ordered small shawls for the aged women and woolen jackets for the men a great comfort to those who were suffering from consumption or bronchitis the principal affections i had to encounter i have stated that although it was midsummer the house was full of sick people which arose partly on account of the sickness that prevailed in the worst part of st anne's and similarly in that part of st james's and also to the fact that the chairman had opposed the transfer of any of the sick to the sick asylum hospital at highgate to which the westminster union in conjunction with the strand st giles and st pancras was affiliated he had opposed the junction of the two parishes on personal grounds and being beaten had in conjunction with his party obstructed the removal of the acutely sick as medical officer i did not object to this for as the sick wards were extremely good and were all that i had desired to carry out when i initiated the workhouse infirmary movement i simply complied with the wishes of the majority of the guardians not to send any one away i had held office some weeks when in the autumn of the year i encountered dr dryges in regent street this gentleman who had acted temporarily whilst dr markham was ill had about this time been permanently appointed to be metropolitan inspector dr markham having resigned he came up to me and said i was coming to the westminster union to learn why it was you did not comply with the law and send your acute sick away oh i replied that is soon explained it is because the majority of the board will not let me indeed he said you must do your duty even if the board object to it to which i replied i did that at the strand and your secretary called on me to resign because i was not sufficiently respectful to the guardians i shall comply with the wishes of the guardians now and not with that of the local government board as they would throw me over to which he rather angrily replied you speak to me like that when i was an inspector and you only a workhouse medical officer to which i answered and who pray made you a poor law inspector why if it had not been for me and my initiation neither you nor dr markham would ever have been inspectors oh he replied i did not know you had had anything to do with it 
i think i said if you will trouble yourself to inquire you will find what i state to be correct when i broke down in eighteen eighty six and he had to call and see me he was then most kind and sympathetic and i take this opportunity of stating as much this refusal on the part of the majority of the board led on by this chairman to allow me to send suitable cases of sickness to the asylum hospital was in the highest degree absurd seeing that the ratepayers of the union had to pay their proportion of all expenses at the asylum hospital and for the beds to which the union were entitled and although this workhouse infirmary was a perfect paradise in comparison with the den at the strand still the house had not been arranged on the principle that all the sick should be retained in it my nursing staff was insufficient to enable me effectually to deal with the great number of sick persons there at the time of my entrance on my duties one illustration will suffice there was a man in an infirm ward who had been under mr french some five or six years he did not belong to westminster he was kept there because he alleged he was so ill that he could not bear the fatigue of journeying some sixty miles in the country he was a healthy-looking man about forty years of age he always lay in bed with his knees drawn up and constantly asserted that he could not stand nor walk nor put his legs down he complained piteously of his sufferings i exhausted every conceivable treatment but all without the least apparent benefit as he never owned to being any better for my attention to him this went on for two years until i began to get suspicious of him one day an inmate of the ward who had recovered and left the house called on me at my private residence on seeing me he said i have called to thank you for your kindness to me and also to tell you that you have been deceived by that man webster who you have done so much for he is an impostor he can walk as well as i can and what is more does walk about nonsense i replied he says he cannot get out of bed and the nurses confirm it well he continued he takes very good care never to allow them to see him get out of bed he takes his constitutional walk about the wards between two and four a m when the lights are down and most of the inmates asleep but surely i said the night nurse must have seen him and if so she would report it to me oh he replied she hardly ever comes into the ward during the night she is generally in her own room fast asleep she gets herself called when she is wanted i made some further inquiries and finding that there was evidence of deception i sent him to the asylum hospital with a letter to the superintendent medical officer giving his history and telling him of my suspicions and asking that he might be carefully watched by reliable persons he came back in a fortnight having been found out he was immediately transferred to his settlement where doubtless he recommenced the game of deception having found it answer so well it may be here said if you had not confidence in your nurses why did you not get rid of them for the simple reason that i had no power to do so they were not selected by me but by the guardians and therefore were not my officers but the boards i once reported the night nurse on the male side the woman who had allowed the malingerer to deceive me for drunkenness but i had so much trouble to get rid of her that i was not induced to repeat the experiment 
added to which i was most grossly insulted by the master for bringing this woman's conduct before the guardians in my opinion the medical officer should select and discharge all the nurses of course reason for this latter action being shown i should have discharged several at the westminster union for neglect of duty and for general incompetence if i had had the power simple complaint would be attended by no beneficial result as it would be a hundred to one that the nurse would be supported in her misconduct by some member of the board whose protege she might be on mentioning this to an ex-workhouse medical officer he told me that on having occasion to represent the conduct of the resident midwife who claimed and exercised the right to go out on every sunday for several hours leaving the wards wholly unattended on every such occasion except for pauper helps the only action taken by the board as a return for it at the instance of the midwife's friend was the adoption of a resolution that a return should be prepared and laid on the boardroom table showing the occasions when the medical officer went out and the length of time he was out and so forth and so forth of course he found out that he had achieved worse than nothing by his effort to check this abuse this circumstance occurred in one of the largest of our metropolitan workhouse infirmaries when i first entered on my duties at the westminster union the chaplain there was a very energetic little man named duval i do not remember his christian name for the reason that he was known and spoken of as claude duval and for a long while i supposed him to possess no other at last i discovered that the name had been given him in joke and that he was in no way connected with the celebrated highwayman he most assuredly did not convey the idea that he had any brigand blood in his veins he was extremely attentive to his duties and deserved and had gained the respect of all the inmates and officers frequently he organized entertainments for the aged and infirm these were held in the dining hall which on all such occasions was crowded to excess after i had held office about a year he desired me to provide an entertainment which i did on several occasions and my efforts met with much success in the carrying out of these entertainments which were musical and recitative i had the assistance of my nephew mr julian rogers and his wife who brought with them vocalists of a high order who contributed much to the pleasure of the inmates these entertainments were highly appreciated by the inmates and were frequently attended by members of the board and by some of the ratepayers living in the neighborhood now and then i used to read extracts suitable for penny readings on two occasions my efforts took a higher form when i gave a lecture on the ear and hearing and on sight and the eye the preparation of these lectures and the diagrams to illustrate them was a work of considerable trouble and some anxiety but the signal success achieved on both occasions amply repaid me for any trouble occasioned to show the appreciation of my audience for a joke i will relate an incident that occurred during the delivery of my lecture on sight and the eye i was describing the function of the iris or colored portion of the eye as an involuntary movable veil which regulated the amount of light which should be admitted to the eye and said that in order to make the veil complete it was covered behind with a black pigment so as to exclude all light except that which passed through the pupil 
i then told them that in certain animals this pigment was wanting and not only there but in the skin generally an instance the white mouse ferret and so forth and showed that all these animals had red eyes and always blinked and winked when exposed to a strong light i then passed on to state that this condition was sometimes found in man where again the winking and blinking was noticeable as well as the whiteness of the skin and hair from the absence of this dark pigment hence the name of albinos applied to those thus afflicted i then went on to state that recently we had a notable example of this in the chancellor of the exchequer who suffered from this infirmity and that his dread of light was so extreme that he had attempted actually to put a tax on matches this joke was followed by a positive scream of delight from visitors and inmates showing that mr lowe's fiscal effort to increase the revenue was known to them all at the conclusion of the night's proceedings miss augusta clifford who was present came up and said she would repeat my story of mr lowe and the match tax wherever she went at the next meeting of the board several of the guardians having been present on the occasion referred to it was moved and seconded and carried unanimously that a vote of thanks should be given to dr rogers for the entertainment provided by him and for the highly interesting and instructive lecture which he had delivered End of chapter two part one